Welcome to ADHD is Over, a new podcast on a seemingly old label that we're going to be peeling off. Join my wife, Tatiana, and I as we journey with our family, the Wyden family, through the land of confusing information. We're going to visit both sides and let you decide because the power is with you. Welcome to ADHD is Over. Today, my guest is Sue Perry. Sue is a former school-based occupational therapist and the mother of three sons that have been at risk for having ADHD and other learning problems. But today's episode is about one of Sue's sons, Andy, and the family's journey through the confusing, inconsistent, and very contradictory narrative of ADHD towards wholeness. Welcome, Sue. Thank you very much, Roman, for having me. It's my pleasure. I have to say, I've heard your story before. We, you and I have talked before. And I just, I'm so touched by, first of all, how you stood for your son's well-being and how you spent a good amount of energy and time and your family as well with your husband to basically move towards wholeness and to allow Andy to be healthy and to thrive in life. And we're going to get into that later, what he's up to today. But I just want to acknowledge you for having taken the road less traveled. Because I'm sure it wasn't always easy. No, it wasn't easy at all. It was um, probably for about six to eight years, it was a, a nightmare. Is mm the best way to describe it. Um, Perhaps take us back. Um, I want to make sure, cause I've heard your story and I want our listeners to really get sort of the, you know, the, the, the important points, take us back to when it all started. Uh, perhaps where you guys were living on Mercer Island. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. So this um, ordeal started back in 1990, in May of 1990, when Andy was finishing up with kindergarten. Uh, it was an all-day program, and I remember I went down to the school one afternoon. It was just before the uh, three-day weekend of Memorial Day, and two, school was going to be let out in a couple of weeks. And I remember his teacher just kind of took me aside and kind of casually mentioned that uh, she was worried about Andy going on to first grade because it seemed to her that he wasn't reading as well as his classmates. And I just, it was just, kind of an incidental comment. And then she said, you know, and she said, well, it might be because he has uh, attention deficit disorder. And see, that was, um, well, that was 30 years ago when it was still ADD and ADHD hadn't really come into um, vogue yet. Mm -hmm. So she said, um, it's probably because he had um, ADD and, you know, over the summer, you might want to have it checked out. Well, I remember I, I uh, 
picked up Andy from school and we walked home and it was like, well, hmm, uh, this is, I really didn't think too much of it because uh, um, we, my, my husband, I just thought Andy was doing fine for a little uh, six-year-old kindergartner and his reading. He was reading some, some of the basic books. He knew some sight words. He could uh, read some sentences. He just academically, it seemed like, you know, he made, you know, decent scores during the school year, uh, really liked art, um, liked to pretend, was um, happy and friendly. Mm-hmm. And well, I remember it was, I said, said, relayed that to my husband. It's just like it was something that was so foreign to us, really. Um, it was looking back on it, it was kind of like, well, it changed my whole perception of, of, of Andy at really within a couple of days, it was like, what's going on here? So I remember we we went through the summer and didn't uh, didn't act on anything. Um, I had a lot of friends on Mercer Island, uh, other moms. We knew, you know, couples um, at get togethers and everything. And it uh, once you're kind of tuned into this, it kind of became the buzz so then andy went on to first grade and he had a teacher then um woman teacher who'd been a teacher for a long time on mercer island and she was very uh demanding i would say academically for kids and didn't um give the kids a lot of I I would call it wiggle room mm-hmm. and that's a good word right because uh yeah it the wasn't wig, the wiggles are sort of wiggles I mean just you know psychologically or physically mm. um and she and Andy and I me and me too we didn't hit it off real well because I just thought she was too demanding now our oldest older son is four years older than Andy. And um, let me see if Andy was in first grade, Ben was in fifth grade. And he was, you know, he was just doing okay in school. We no concerns, no reports of um, you know, behavior problems or academic problems. So so here's Andy in first grade. And uh, this teacher just kind of, Andy just made it through. Well, then uh, Andy went into second grade and had uh, another teacher who I thought she was uh, very um, accepting and tolerant of different learning styles. And Andy was in that class for, you know, two or three weeks. Well, um at this school uh they had just gotten some i think some federal grant money well they were starting a new program 
it was not exactly special ed, but it was just to offer some assistance with children with learning differences. So, well, mm -hmm. you know, they evaluated Andy and well, he qualified. Well, he just went in the morning um, every other day, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, when they did the more academic stuff. And he did that for the, the first semester from uh, September through December. Well, he just thrived because in this program, there were, I think there were maybe 10 or 12 kids. And um, it was very um, uh, expressive and exploratory and hands-on and multi-sensory. Andy loved art, he still does. And it seemed to me that it offered a lot of the things that had just been removed from the regular classroom. Mm -hmm. And this is, and, and he, was, he hasn't been uh, officially diagnosed by then, right? No, uh-uh, no. So um, this teacher uh, was, she just thought Andy was, uh, um, a, a, a regular little boy and ordinary, average, normal little boy, if there's such a thing. So um, Andy made it through first grade um, or through second grade, um, you know, doing quite well, not excelling, but he was he was thriving, I, I, we thought. So then he went into third grade. And once again, he had another teacher that was much like um, the first grade teacher. And come to find out, she had two teenage sons, two twin boys who had been uh, diagnosed with ADHD and were on medication. So she was kind of like she was a spotter. She was an ADH spotter, teacher spotter, which over the years I've come to find out, um, I'm not sure exactly the percentage of kids that are, you know, referred to the doctor, what the percentage is that teachers, the, the teacher referrals, but I would say, it's somewhere between 90 and 100% <laughs> because the um, it has to do with academic performance and achievement, you know, and or behavioral problems. And that's where you see them in the classroom. Okay, so third grade came around. This was in 1993. Mm -hmm. And um, at that point, we could see that Andy was having quite a bit of difficulty with the, the curriculum. Um, part of that was it was a, um, it was, was, was it an advanced curriculum? I'm, I'm not sure. What I do know that in the community that we lived in, which was uh, quite well off, uh, very competitive, and I would have to say quite elitist. Um, mm -hmm. Many, many of the kids were getting supplemental tutoring. 
And it wasn't remedial tutoring. It was supplemental tutoring so that the the normal average child, like I was, I just wasn't accustomed to seeking out tutoring for my children so that they could excel. Uh, we could have, I mean, if we wanted to, you know, financially, we could have, but I didn't want to just whisk them off after school, before school, after school, um, mm-hmm. or for tutoring. But a lot of parents were making that, if you want to call it a sacrifice. Anyway, so by third grade, the school that this teacher was really pressuring us and said, you know, if And I think she was genuinely concerned about Andy's um, performance. So Mm -hmm. um, she uh, recommended that we, you know, we really seek uh, medical attention with his pediatrician. Mm -hmm. And so we did. Meaning talk to the pediatrician to get. Oh, yeah. uh, Talk to the pediatrician. Right. Yeah. to, To get tested. And not only just by him, but also by the um, the school psychologist. Mm-hmm. And um, so we were very, we still just didn't jump at this. We didn't embrace any of this. We weren't really resisting it or we, but we weren't seeking it out either. We were, we were, um, very, I would almost say befuddled, <laughs> like what, yeah, what's, like what's, what, what's wrong with Andy? What, what isn't he doing? He, he seemed like he was never, um, it, it, he was never organized enough. He could never sit still quietly enough. He could never pay enough attention. He was just the never enough child. Okay. So then we went to his uh, to the pediatrician. Now, before you go to the pediatrician, uh, there's this very fascinating uh, uh, brochure you've shared with me. Did this brochure come in before you went to the pediatrician? Was this something? Yeah, I I happen to have it right here. And Beautiful. Well, I just want well, for, our listeners, <laughs> for our listeners, I just yeah. want to set the context that this is a, a pharmaceutical company called Novartis at the time. And this is a Swiss company. I'm, I'm Swiss, so I know the name very well. Um, and this was a brochure that was handed out at the school. Now tell me who handed this brochure out and at what point would this brochure normally get handed out before we read this very lovely sentence yeah. in there that I just mind blowing, but who yeah. would hand this out and, 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 okay. and at what point? It was either the, um, the teachers or the school psychologists mm-hmm. and it's, it's a brochure. It's a, um, it's it's really more of a of a booklet and it's um let's see it's it's a 15 page booklet and it says here um ADHD um and and learning disabilities it well it says here there was one it was a booklet for the classroom teacher and a booklet for for the parent what i have here is the booklet for the classroom teacher i had one for the we she actually gave us both, but they're they're they were identical. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's written by Dr. Larry Silver. He's a psychiatrist. He's back in Potomac, Maryland. He's been very involved 
in the Learning Disabilities Association, the Learning Disabilities Association of America. So this brochure, so it was given to you, and I remember you read to me one sentence that is yeah. beautifully highlighted. If you'd be so kind to read yeah. that sentence yeah. to us. So what it says here, and this this was because we were, I guess we were we were pretty kind of balking at what needed to be done. And this teacher um, felt like something really needed to be done about with Andy. And so she gave us this brochure. And what it says here um, in a, a subsection, it says, your role in ADHD. It says, if the child's doctor feels that the hyperactivity and distractibility and or impulsivity stem from a specific nervous system-based disability, non-anxiety or depression, he or she might prescribe medication. It says these medicines do not cure the ADHD. Instead, they appear to work by correcting for a lack of certain necessary brain chemicals in the nervous system. Parents should be aware that these medicines do not drug or alter the brain of the child. They make the child normal by correcting for a, for a neurochemical imbalance. Wow. That's it. So first That's of all, and you, you know exactly what I'm talking about, but for, you know, I just want to point out to the listeners that first of all, when we look at the word normal, right? I always start with that word. First of all is what is normal and how can you actually prove that someone who was quote unquote abnormal first is now normal based or you know comparing it to what and i believe as you know uh, very well uh, it's an academic standard it's like do you now have good grades you know is the teacher less frustrated with the kid than before so now he's back to normal right so we get that and that's kind of like common sense but in a brochure to say once you take these drugs the child will go back to normal and it's not going to harm the brain and it's a chemical imbalance is mind blowing to me now because this 30 years later, there's been many articles written by, by, you know, very credible scientists debunking that it's a chemical imbalance and debunking that actually these drugs don't have any harmful effect. Right. Well, as a parent, when you got this brochure, what was your reaction to this statement? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my reaction was, um, well, we were really so um, confused and um, not knowing what to do. Mm. Uh, So if this makes Andy normal, so does this mean we have an abnormal child with, with, well, and it was just like, you know, it was like, I'm I'm, hard, I'm I'm speechless right now because it really left us in a lurch of what 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 do we do? What is it that Andy isn't doing? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think um, more importantly, and but also importantly, is that when we realized when we 
when our skepticism was at an all-time high of, well, why do we, why should we, you know, med- medicate Andy or drug Andy, really? Mm-hmm. Um, my husband, he, in, in his curiosity, well, since these books were from a pharmaceutical company, a pharmaceutical giant, uh, why, why was a teacher giving us a booklet from a drug company? Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to call it a pharmaceutical company, and I don't call the medications medication anymore. They're, they're a drug. And so he wrote to the head school psychologist, and he asked some questions. And just real quickly here, he says, um, says um, we have a, a booklet entitled ADHD, a booklet for uh, parents by Dr. Larry Silver. Um, since these since these booklets appear to be readily available, I assume we order each one in sufficient quantity to meet the demand. I would like to know where they come from. I realize they're published by Novartis, but I would like to know how they get to the district. Do we buy them? If so, I'd like to know in what quantities and at what frequency and at what cost. As uh, regarding the latter brochures, are these distributed to all teachers or only to those who request it? So that was his letter to the head school psychologist. Mm-hmm. This is what she replied. This letter is in response to your request for information regarding the booklets by Larry Silver. In my research, I have discovered that the booklets were not ordered but were in fact given to the district by a Novartis representative. The booklets were then distributed to parents and teachers when a need need to provide additional information was indicated. At this time, the district has no plans to procure additional copies. (laughs) You may directly, you may contact directly Novartis Corporation Pharmaceuticals Division, Summit, New Jersey, for more information. There you have it. Well, it's interesting, right? Because when you're back then, uh, when you're there and you're a parent that's newly given this information and this diagnosis or the news, you almost uh, feel like, A, it's the narrative, it's doctors, it's scientists, it must be true, right? Yes, in our um, in our impressionistic, gullible selves, back then we did, but not anymore. Well, this is now years later, but at the yes. time. So, so tell me about so you guys. What was that moment like, or when did you decide to go with medication to actually? I guess you were probably in the space of let's try it out or let's. Yeah, it, we did. We did a, a, you know, a trial of medication and it was um, five milligrams. It was in um, 93 then, 93. 
and Andy took, uh, this was Ritalin, uh, five milligrams in the morning uh, before he went to school. And um, a lot of kids took it uh, during lunch. They didn't have the, um, you know, the longer lasting medications back then. I think they were just, you know, coming in, but we didn't do that. And so, yeah, he took his uh, pill every morning and with, and then he, you know, left, left for school. Uh, sometimes he, because we aren't um, uh, uh, pill takers at all, and that's a big factor in, in your, um, in the acceptability of the appropriateness of whether you are going to drug your child is whether, whether you're on uh, any kind of drug. Mm -hmm. uh, becomes much more uh, palatable. Yeah, so uh, Andy Andy uh, took it uh, uh, Monday through Friday, didn't take it on the weekends, uh, didn't take it uh, during uh, any summer vacations. Um, that was... And was it an instant academic improvement? No. 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 It was... Uh, it. I think it almost could have had a a placebo effect uh, didn't uh, it was a, like a very low dosage really five mil or five milligrams is is very low um, he uh, um, did let me see third grade fourth into fifth grade uh, Andy did start having some uh, adverse drug reactions some side effects Mm -hmm. Um, I think it was, it was cardiac arrhythmia uh, through all this. I would like to say that the pediatrician that we dealt with was, I do not fault her at all. She was very conservative, very, um, cautious. Uh, you know, we, we did the questionnaires. Um, she did, um, I remember she gave me, uh, because she knew that we were, you know, sitting on the fence, very reluctant, very skeptical. She mm -hmm. did give me a book by uh, Thomas Hartman, mm -hmm. um, the, what, A Different Perception of, of ADD? Is, yep. Is that what it is, Roman? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and Tom is actually going to be on our podcast. Yes, uh, and he's in interviewed. And I remember she gave me that book, and it just added to the confusion because I thought, well, here's, here's this booklet by, you know, Larry Silver telling me it's, you know, makes my kid normal. And then I was, and it was really, um, it was, I, I mean, I'm just, I'm just shaking my head because it was, we were just, we just didn't know what to do anyway. But what we did do was, was put on Andy on the medication and mm. then um, he uh, developed uh, the cardiac arrhythmia. He sometimes he was, you know, gasping for air uh, mm -hmm. at school a uh, few times. And uh, if I was home, I, I worked part time as an occupational therapist. If I was home, uh, they would call me, um, and he ended up down in the nurse's office. Mm -hmm. And he uh, he was, you know, very bad chest pains under his chest and sometimes kind of just couldn't breathe real well. So I would bring him home and that would, uh, 
go away. I would take him then to the pediatrician, get an appointment, have it checked out. We had a, you know, EKG, nothing uh, definitive. Um, but we did keep on with the medication. Um, and then I, I, I come to find out that when he did end up down in the nurse's office, mm -hmm. um, I remember she said to me that the, the school nurse, she said, well, it can't be, it just couldn't be the medication because both of my boys are on it and they don't have any, they don't have any side effects. It just, yeah. it just makes all the difference in the world. There, well, there again, see, it's, it's interesting. Like, yeah. There's, there's somebody there else that, okay. <laughs> and now I'm hearing this and I, I was heard it from the other teacher and it's just like, I mean, I, it was, it that that was a hellish nightmare those years because I'm sure it was, it was yeah so much. and see there's the fallacy again that I believe is a huge uh, factor uh, that steers parents in this direction is that we 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 sort of tend to put all kids in the same basket so that if it works for that woman's son if it's not if there's no side effects for him or her then. There shouldn't be any for you, for your son, for your child. And that's, right. to me, that's where the Russian roulette comes in. Yes. Know? Yes. So, sorry, I didn't mean so, to interrupt you. You're no, 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 no. So, um, yeah. So then uh, by that time, it was fifth grade. And at the, at the end of fifth grade, um, you know, they were transitioning into middle school. And uh, so I think at that point, my husband and I, it was like, um, we're going to, we're, we're going to, this is going to be different going in a whole new start going into, you know, another school, um, you know, was, was Andy, you know, mature enough to go into, uh, the, you know, the middle school into sixth grade. So we wanted to stop. We just thought we're, you know, over summer vacation, no more medication. We're just going to let it go. We're just going to regroup and it, things are going to be different. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, um, it seems this particular, not just this particular, but I think a lot of school districts, this sixth grade um, for a lot this for the for Andy it was probably like going into his um I'd say maybe his uh first year at a junior college the workload was unbelievable there again in this district it was very uh highly academic a lot of the kids were being coached starting in middle school for their SAT tests um they were really getting them on track for the, the, you know, top name schools. Once again, um, that just wasn't my husband, you know, our approach. We were just trying to let them grow up in their own time and in their own way. Yeah. And so with Andy, he, the workload was just way too much for him. It was way too much for a lot of kids, particularly boys. Um, and I, I, know a lot of them that were tanking and a lot of them then where it was that 
that, you know, sixth grade year, sixth and seventh grade year in the middle school, looking back on it after all these years, that's when they were getting diagnosed and drugged. Mm -hmm. Um, But for you, for you, it was now, so you had been, he had been on medication, he had side effects. And then what was the moment? Tell me about the moment when you, you and your husband said, okay, no. Like we well, see that we we did say no when he went into sixth grade. We we thought mm-hmm. that was going to be the end of this. But then one of his teachers um, could see that Andy just wasn't keeping up again. He just wasn't uh, he just wasn't organized enough. He wasn't performing enough. Well, she she suggested that we put Andy on Dexedrine. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget that. We had a meeting. We had a meeting. We, she called a meeting. And sure enough, guess what? I went to the doctor and I still had all this skepticism. And well, then Andy, we walked away with a week's worth of Dexedrine. And he mm-hmm. took that before school. But then uh, that was keeping him up at um, until uh, like, say, one or two o'clock the next morning. Yep. And it was keeping me up, too. And after that, and after that, after a few days of that, maybe we gave it a go. And after that, I thought, uh, uh, no, no more of this. This is, this is just, uh, mm -mm, this is not right. Something was really wrong. And so I remember I went, went then back to, um, his pediatrician took Andy and she said, you know, this was in. 1996 and she gave me it was a vhs copy of a program that she had taped it had been on pbs it was called add a dubious diagnosis by john Mm -hmm. merrill of learning matters incorporated in new york city and i would have to say that it it saved Andy's life um, and, and our lives too, because what I can't thank her enough uh, that, that she gave me this copy. I mean, it, it's weird to think now with all, you know, so many years later that it was actually a VHS copy. And um, mm-hmm. but we, I took it home and I think a couple of days later, uh, my husband and I, you know, we sat down and watched it. And what it shows on there is they, they interview uh, a, a, a DEA agent, uh, Gene Hayslip from Washington, D.C., from the Office of Diversion Control. They interviewed um, Dr. Peter Bragan, a psychiatrist. Yep. And um, they interviewed um, some uh, teachers, school psychologists, lots of parents, uh, boys who were on medication um, and what they really reveal, they uh, interview uh, officials from CHAD, which is a um, a national support group for um, people who think they have ADHD mm-hmm. and what they really show on this video is the, um, the partnership uh, some would say uh, the collusion between uh, Novartis Pharmaceuticals 
um, the public school system and uh, Chad. Mm. And after we watched that, um, it was, this is, we really realized how we'd been um, suckered into believing that this was a, um, a, a neurobiological disorder, that it, it's really just a, a very um, well-orchestrated, well-financed marketing campaign. And that's all yep. that it is. And apparently, unfortunately, um, America has bought into it big time. Yeah. And I just want to point out to our listeners that Sue, uh, you, you know, a former uh, occupational therapist at schools, but also a mom going through this. But you have really seen behind the curtain now for close to 30 years. And so I just want to point out, and you and I have had many conversations, that this isn't just some conspiracy theory. Oh, you know, because we are living in a time where everything that goes against the main narrative is now considered a conspiracy theory. And no, the, uh, no, it's, it's, it, it's not a, a cons it's not an, you know, X-Files conspiracy. It's not, it's, it's a, it's a, a, a it's a, it's a business plan. It's a, it's marketing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I say this, uh, all the time I say, look, it's not a secret that a pharmaceutical company or in some cases nowadays, vaccine companies, you know, it's a business. They have to make money. If they don't make money, they go out of business. And the bigger your overhead, the more profits you have to make. It's not a secret to anyone. It shouldn't be a secret to anyone, right? So, but it's then when you have a, excuse me, a conflict of interest, when you have a pharmaceutical yes. company giving pamphlets to a school. Yes, where, that's where it. I feel we're, we're crossing the, that, that fine line, you know? Yes, it's, I mean, once again, I, I, I'm really, I'm just sitting here shaking my head because it's, it's beyond me that, um, uh, that this has been allowed to continue for as long as it has. Now, when it does come to the use of medications, uh, a person if they do want a, if they do want to use a, a drug, they should really be given, um, you know, accurate, um, medically sound information mm -hmm. that is, is, um, has been uh, proven. Uh, it's never been proven that there is a neurochemical imbalance. I mean, there's been thousands and thousands and thousands of studies that have been done on the um, the the effects of the medication, but there is not a study out there that validates that ADHD is due to a, a neurochemical imbalance. Yeah. Yeah. That it's, I mean, it's a neurobiological disorder. It's, um, I, I'd like to see it. 
if there is. Well, it's great because you bring up a good point because I, uh, you know, we're, we're also working with uh, Bob Whitaker, who has Mad in America. Yes. And uh, I invite our, our listeners to visit that site, Mad in America, because Bob has years and years of research into psychiatry, psychology, into how mental disorders are treated, how medications abused or overprescribed. And he is just a wealth of, of knowledge and research. And he's a very credible man. And he once told me, uh, he said, look, uh, science is continuously trying to discover uh, new things or discover the ways the brain works or the medication works. Science doesn't have the answer that's now the answer forever. They keep uh, uh, evolving their answer. They keep studying. They keep doing research. The problem, I think, here is media, right? So when a parent hears science says it's, an, it's a chemical imbalance, right? And years ago, I mean, it's like 30, 40 years ago. And for some reason, the newer science that actually debunks that or disproves that sort of gets uh, shoved in the background because it doesn't serve the uh, players involved. And that makes sense, yes. right? Yes. So, so the question is, as a parent, and you know this, like, what did you have to go on? And I'm, 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 I'm leading you here, but if the evidence was so strange, at some point you had to trust something inside of you to say something's fishy. It, ooh, it was my, I think maybe just my um, parental intuition, um, mm -hmm. my, I, we, we have three boys and, and they're all different. And I just wanted them. I wasn't looking for perfection. A lot of, I think I, I played off a lot of what was going on in our community that was very much like a, a Stepford community mm -hmm. with they really wanted, you know, the top notch, um, the best kids that <laughs> you could, um, that you could raise. Well, you know, I still just didn't want to haul Andy off for, you know, tutoring and, um, you know, he, we had the music lessons, the sports, um, mm -hmm. you know, some art lessons. And but I, I just it just was uh, we we I, I, I actually I, I started feeling very odd and and almost ostracized and shunned that um, I I started talking to a lot of parents about this and well, their children were on Ritalin and the, the, the parents were maybe on, you know, Prozac or it was just, uh, it was like a, 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 a drug infested community. And, and it was because there, there were a lot of um, physicians that, that lived there. It was a, a but it, it just, it, it, it just was a, I, a real mismatch for mm -hmm. um for me after a while and yeah uh, yeah and it's great because you uh you 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 said parental intuition right you have to 
you know, same with my wife and I, we had to trust that not only a, we know our son better than these people know him. Right. Yes. More, more so you just have to trust when something feels a little off and it's hard nowadays because of all this political and COVID and all these conspiracy and fake news. I feel like we're entering the age where we're really, we are forced to listen to our gut, you know, to really, and you did that. And this is 30 years ago. So I think that's pretty amazing. It's interesting because I knew something wasn't right, Mm. but I didn't know how humongous this was. And that's what I've learned. Mm -hmm. It, it just, um, but I think and then to talk to Andy today, well, for him, it just wasn't, it's, it's like it's over with for him. It, he has no residual side effects. He has no cardiac problems. It, it, he's not, you know, emotionally or psychologically. He's not, it, it's almost like a, a, a non-event. But I think for me, um, <laughs> I would have to say it had become a bit of an obsession because I was the one that took the phone calls from the teachers. I went, you know, to most of, I went to the meetings, my husband, if, you know, we had to schedule them around when I was, you know, working part-time and my husband working full-time. And so we went to these meetings Mm -hmm. and, um, it was, you know, I made made the doctor's appointments, got the prescriptions filled. A uh, few times when he forgot to take his medication, I had to walk it down to the school so that because the teacher wouldn't let him be in the classroom unless he had taken his medication. So then one time Andy asked me, this is the real kicker. He asked me, he actually asked me, he said, he said, why do I have to take this? Mm. And just so innocently. Mm. And I said, because your brain isn't working right. Mm. And I told my son that when he was 10 years old. Wow. And that took, that is absolutely heartbreaking. And that's it. Because Andy is just, he's got such a good character. He's so much fun to be with. And and then he told me one thing too. He said, the school psychologist, oh, it was always a school psychologist trying to find out what Andy could or couldn't do. And Andy could never understand why he was being taken out of his classroom, you know, and being walked down the hall with this school psychologist and going into this room and he said having to do things i mean it was it was being tested you know mm-hmm. and and that is just like what a waste of time he he was missing valuable classroom time i guess if you call it valuable um because he would have thrived in a classroom with a, with a more, you know, more music, drama, art, recess, PE, um, all those things that have been uh, forsaken for, you know, occupational therapy, school psychologists, and mm-hmm. um, just let's wow. get, you know, back to basics and let the kids um, have a have a tolerance of their you know, learning different learning styles and 
one yeah, one I, size. And and then two, I remember I went down. I had I I got a book by. I thought, well, we had that booklet by Dr. Larry Silver. He must be. He must. Okay. So he wrote the misunderstood child, and I thought, well, yeah, Andy's misunderstood. Well, I got that, but then I remember um, I got the book by Thomas Armstrong, The Myth of the ADD Child, yep. and it was the combination of The Myth of the ADD Child and ADD, A Dubious Diagnosis, that made all the difference in the world, mm. and yeah, and we let it go, so... That's amazing. And again, Thomas Armstrong is also part of our project. And yes. I'm just so happy. You know, I am uh, too. We have such great experts, and I can't wait to share this film with the world, which we'll have to wait for a little while into next year, but it's all good. Um, but I just want to go back to when you said, you know, so you listen to your intuition, you go for it, but at some point, right, you, your son and our son did the same thing. It's like they ask, why do I have to take this? What's happening? Yeah. And I believe, and my wife and I said, we called this the collateral damage of a label mm -hmm. um, of using a word like your brain's not quite working or, uh, you know, there's an imbalance or however we explain it to our child. They know, I, I would say kids pick up, uh, you know, between the lines or under the words because every parent that's going to try to explain it somehow will have this way of being of pity or I'm so sorry, but you know, you're not quite like the other kids and we got to do yeah. something about it. And to me, that's almost, that, that sort of builds a lack of self-confidence and yes. a doubt in oneself. And that's almost worse in the long run than just not academically be up to speed in the early years. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Well, and, the, the way I think, let me just interject yeah, here. Um, please. The thing that's interesting is in our community, I, I heard from the same school psychologist that wrote to my husband about the, the booklets being given to the school system. When I thought Andy, what, he hadn't been uh, really qualified for special ed, but the district, I remember one evening they had a, um, a meeting and for uh, special ed, and I went to that. And she said at the meeting, she said that our particular district had the highest consumption rate of Ritalin in the state of Washington. Wow. And that was back in, in 1996. And what was interesting about this is Andy, Andy never felt, you know, different because it turned out that so many of his friends were on it. It had become the norm. So he didn't he didn't feel different <laughs> because everybody else was was being drugged up, had been, you know, identified and diagnosed and drugged up. And um, boy, thinking of th this is just bizarre to think that um, the, 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 that we lived in that kind of environment uh, was not healthy to me might seem healthy to other people, but it didn't seem healthy to me. Yeah. And, you know, it, look, uh, it, it's a good point because uh, I'm not here to say uh, uh, these stimulant drugs are going to hurt every single child who takes them or are going to affect them in the long run. I don't know that. I'm not a scientist. I know there are studies that actually prove that it's not necessarily a lasting academic improvement. It means that the child 
can focus in the short term and memorize stuff and spit it back out for a test, right, to get a good grade. But in the long run, it actually doesn't, uh, uh, I I hate to say heal or cure, but it doesn't really take care of the root, uh, the the issue. And the issue, I think, is, is we're trying to squeeze these kids into this educational system box and not every child is made for it. And clearly Andy wasn't made to follow these rules in a certain way, right? Yeah. And maybe um, uh, uh, you tell me, but I'd like to jump forward and yeah. and, and, and address something that's uh, the biggest concern of parents, right? So yes. the big, biggest concern of parents is like, if I don't medicate my child, if I don't do what they say I should be doing so my child can function in this world, they, the parents are worried that their kids will not, quote unquote, turn out, that they will not be able to... Uh, live a successful life. And so I just want to jump successful, that there'll be a failure. And you are here, or we are here to to disprove that myth, because Andy, from what I've heard, turned out great. So maybe let's talk about Andy and see what he's up, what he's up to. Yeah. Okay. If you could just tell us. Yeah. Yeah. Andy. um, Well, yeah. um, Now 30. How old is he now? Andy's 36 years old. 36. That's right. Yep. Lives up in Washington. Yeah, and he uh, he's involved in in two businesses up there, and he's um, he likes to to travel. Um, he uh, went to to college, and uh, he he's a a wonderful cook. Um, he. <laughs> I can't wait to visit him this fall because um, I, I don't even have to lift a finger in the kitchen. He's always <laughs> whipping up something. I tell him that he should write a, a cookbook calling call and call it cooking on all four burners. Um, nice. he, he always was. Uh, I would say that um, he was always a bit of a, a, a quirky messy kind of a person and um my saying about andy was creative minds are rarely tidy because he was he would uh he wasn't real good about uh cleaning up his first he was doing his i i called him art messes okay he would he was always fooling around with at christmas glue and glitter and he liked to you know um, color and pl- his play-doh and all of that. And then he, yeah. he, um, that transformed into, um, you know, his cooking. Um, and he can just, I mean, he can whip up some really decent meal out of practically, you know, nothing. That's great. But he's, uh, he's friendly. He's got a lot of friends. Uh, he and his girlfriend, uh, just got engaged, um, a couple of, weeks ago oh congratulations and yeah thank you yeah. and so he's he's real happy and um and just so you know for parents that are listening yeah. andy ended up going to get a degree correct yeah and he went to college yes and excuse me and that's another thing his second yeah. grade teacher told it told us that the rate he was going he would he would probably not go to college she told us that Mm-hmm. Yep. That just yep. 
<laughs> this little nugget is stuck in my brain. I mean, it's of just, course. it's just, <laughs> Ooh, boy. So. Well, it's, it's very similar with our son. We were told that if we didn't medicate that a, he would self-medicate later and B, he might end up becoming a druggie or go to jail. Yes. We were told the same thing. It's to me, it's, it's like a script Roman. I, it, it's a shame that uh, all these years later that you were told the same thing. And I yep. really do think the teachers um, have been, uh, you know, educated, if you want to say indoctrinated into this ideology that they're, they're well-meaning, they're well-intentioned, but inadvertently, uh, they play a huge role in this, mm. and they really need to be uh, all every all the the teachers the all I would say all the the non-essential teaching personnel, the OTs, the social workers, the school psychologists really need to be re-educated as to what this is all about. And I think this is where you know the your documentary ADHD is over is going to play a huge role. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. That's definitely our goal. Our goal is, you know, this is meant to be educational. We're not making an anti anything. We're making a pro education, a pro awareness, uh, a pro options, pro alternative, uh, you know, because I, from my research, just being on lots of uh, ADHD support groups online where uh, most of the members are uh, women, are mothers, and most of them are divorced or single or separated. And so the the husbands or the boyfriends or the men in their lives have sort of left the scene. Sure. And so, of course, I get the frustration, right? When you're a single parent yes. and you have no other option, you have three yes. jobs and the kid needs to sit still, you know, I get it. There is a quick fix uh, uh, um, pill, but... As, as if we're not aware that it's really just a band-aid and should be temporary so that we can change our lives around to accommodate the child's learning style or their yeah. personality. Yeah. If we take it right as the, the healing, the thing that the only thing that can actually make them productive in life, then I have to say you obviously yeah. have majorly disproven that by with your story that your son after getting off of medications yeah. actually did better, went to uh, get a degree. He is living a good life. He's He's got a partner. I mean, I would say, you know, he turned out is sort of the term, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But it, I, I can say that this took a, at least, you know, a huge toll on, on our marriage. I mean, just a lot of unhappiness and um, it, 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 it was, it, I mean, it was just, you know, it was like a, uh, a ADHD cloud. I mean, it, it not at us, it, uh, not especially at me, mm -hmm. you know, it was just, I think always on my mind because it was just like, well, what do we do? What, you know, it's like, what's wrong with Andy? He's, he's just, he's just not good enough. And, yeah, yeah. and there's something here that's going to make, make him better. What, what the drugs do do is they provide, you know, temporary symptomatic relief. Uh, one of the um, things that the um, 
you know, the, the ADHD, the proponents say is that, you know, ADHD is like, you know, uh, diabetes and insulin. Well, the the thing there is what with type two diabetes anyway, it really has to do with um, diet and exercise. It's a lifestyle choice. And it's the same thing in with, I think, attention deficit disorder or ADHD. Um, in especially in America, where we use probably, uh, I'd say, somewhere between 80 and 85 percent of all the stimulants that are manufactured. I don't think it's ever dropped below 80 percent. Um, but in this rapid fire culture, um, we really have to take a look at what is going on in America that's that's driving this. I mean, you know, uh, documentaries, Fast Food Nation. Um, would there be a documentary like Fast Food Nation? Would that would that be Fast Food Nation? Would Italy be considered a fast food nation? Well, if not, then why is America? And I mm-hmm. think we, you yeah. know, if you look at the consumption rate of the, you know, uh, around the rest of the world, it's it's America, Canada, Australia, and then in other countries such as. Italy, France, Germany, certainly Scandinavian countries, it's literally non-existent. Yeah, yeah, and I think it has, so, uh, it's, it has to do with, obviously, the American dream has sort of become this rat race of capitalism, and you need to have more and get there faster. You know, I hate the term, the grind. you got to grind, and you got to, like, you know, work when others are sleeping, and if not, you're going to lose out. It's almost this fear of losing out, right? Fear, fear yeah. of missing out, or they call it FOMO. America's become a FOMO country because it's like everybody is afraid they're going to miss out on either the American dream, the money, the fame, the, all that stuff, right? And yeah. and while all that's happening, we're actually not living our lives. We're actually letting live our lives and, and our family slip through the crack. Yeah. And that's why I believe there's a huge mental health epidemic and an, an opioid you know, crisis and yeah. These are clear signs. These are not just coincidentally here in America, you know? So we've got here in America, we've got some um, real basic work that, that needs to be done. And um, a lot of it, it, you know, it has with a trust level for between people. Um, We've got epidemic of, of loneliness, even before COVID-19. So we've, we've, you know, things can change. I'm very hopeful um, with yeah. this situation, with this ADD situation, ADHD situation. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I agree with you. Uh, this is not to be, it's not doomsday prophecy. We're, we're not doomed. I mean, you, you are certainly a great example with your son, Andy. You and your husband uh, did the work. You went through, uh, I hate to call it hell, but, you know, it seems like it at the time, right? <laughs> and, yeah. And, and you did it. And if you didn't do that, you wouldn't have been available to me and other other people in this community. And so we're sort of I'm standing on giants. I'm standing on the shoulders of giants like yourself who who've done a lot for this uh, community and for the children and the parents. And um, 
it's my duty to continue that work and to continue uh, showing parents and children uh, that there is another, there's an alternative narrative that perhaps may take a little longer and take a little more work and life adjustment, but we're both here to say it's so worth it. It is. And then your lives will be much more fulfilled and fun and you'll feel liberated and not oppressed and not yeah. under the thumb of, of, I'm not sure who. <laughs> well, that's a good, it's a good point. Like what thumb are we under? I think it's many thumbs, right? Yes. I think there's the educational system. There's the pharmaceutical companies. There's the other sort of, uh, you know, businesses that profit from the, the therapies and all this stuff. And, you know, it's business. But at the same time, if parents aren't aware of what's, what's available, what other alternative narratives that could be listened to, then we're going to keep feeding that same machine that, in a sense, emotionally numbs these children and makes them, I hate to say robots, because again, this is not a conspiracy theory, but it really makes them obedient learners of what I call outdated information, because everything we're learning, we can learn at school right now, the way it's structured, you can learn on Google and YouTube anytime, yeah. but no, no one's teaching emotional intelligence and, you know, how to how to have successful relationships and how to uh, do uh, uh, you know even even don't get me started on sex education. There's all these things that we could be teaching children that we're not teaching at school because we're afraid if they academically miss the boat that they won't turn out. And I think that's that's an old paradigm. Yeah, it is. Go. Yeah, Gotta we go. definitely need a, a a paradigm shift. Yeah, and yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's there's possibilities. Yeah. I mean, I'm shaking now. I'm shaking my head up and down and not side <laughs> to side like I was, you know, through quite a bit of this. Yeah, I'm yeah. it's like, yes, and it's time to move forward. Yeah, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong or add to it if you'd like, but I would like to maybe leave our listeners with this at the end of our podcast is um, that, you know, the education system is not going to change on its own because it's a supply and demand kind of scenario. Once parents stop demanding this academic rigor that comes from this fear-based mentality of my son or daughter must be top of the class, must get a great job, you know, to be successful. When parents will stop demanding that and demanding more of uh, emotional intelligence uh, curriculums and have it be more balanced for all types of learners. When we demand that, it's going to slowly change. And that's my prediction, but hopefully, hopefully yeah. I'm right. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's bigger, you know, than just the, the, the education system. It's, it's being, you know, there's, there's a book out there uh, by a, a doctor, uh, Dr. Carl Elliott. It's better than well, American medicine meets the American dream. And mm. it's what we're doing to ourselves, you know, uh, internally and externally with, uh, well, you know, he, he goes into, you know, cosmetic psychopharmacology uh, with, you uh, the neuroenhancers, which, uh, you know, uh, well, Ritalin is really old stuff, but, you know, that 
the Adderall and the Vyvanse and um, uh, Foculin. Um, and then, you know, we've got to look at, so we're, we're ADHD nation, we're Ritalin nation. These are titles of books. Um, Prozac nation. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a very uh, multifaceted, multidimensional problem that we're really yep. talking here. It, it has to do with um, your, just your, you know, your, your overall ideology of, you know, what you find appropriate and acceptable and how much you can, you know, tolerate with, um, uh, I tell audiences with the, um, the individual differences of um, temperament uh, and, um, temperament and developmental, you know, diversity. I mean, not every, not every little baby say sits up when they're right. uh, sits up real well when they're six months old. Sometimes it might take them till they're almost eight months old. Not every child is walking when they're uh, 12 months old. They might not walk independently until they're you know, 14 months old, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, like Andy, he, he didn't, he wasn't walking on his first birthday. He, he, he figured out on his own, he didn't walk real well to his 15 months old because he crawled faster and he was following his big brother around. Mm -hmm. And he, 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 there was nothing developmentally wrong with him. We've, we've just got to be real careful when we try and, uh, you know, categorize kids so early on. And, and then you trust, you know, what a, a person, an expert is telling you. Um, a lot of these so-called, you know, disorders, diagnoses, the disorders are in the eye of the beholder. I mean, mm -hmm. you talk about, you know, hyperactive children. Well, I would never say that. I would say high energy because hyperactive Oh, that indicates pathology. You right. know, there, there was no psychopathology here with Andy. It, it's yeah. more of a sociopathology. It's the sociocultural pathology of our, of what our, of what America has become. Well, that's what I always say. I'm glad you put it that way. Cause I always say like, there is not. Uh, and this is great because I was talking to uh, uh, Gabor Mate recently. We had a great call and he said, you know, he said to me, it was, it was just a lovely um, interaction. He said to me, well, you say you love my work, but you don't think there's a problem with, you know, kids having ADHD. And I said to him, well, actually, I don't think there's a problem. I think there's friction between the child and the world. And, and that looks mm -hmm. like a problem, you know? And then we pathologize that and we say, oh, well, uh, we need to medicate that because that's actually a sign of, you know, blah, 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 whatever the disorder is, you name it, right? And I feel like we're not looking at it, if we were, you know, if we're saying the kid's the problem, well, then we're not going to go anywhere because if you make the kid a problem, then the kid's broken and the kid's going to be dependent on medication for the rest of his or her life. Then it gives us no power as parents, zero power. 
Yeah. Right. And yeah. I feel like the power is there when we get to say, you know what, there's some friction there. Maybe we need to find a different school. Maybe we need yeah. to uh, uh, change our diet. Maybe mom and dad uh, need to be more loving in the household and more patient with, you know, the kid who uh, runs around and has more energy. You know, there, there's many things that can be done before we can, I think before we should ever mm-hmm. consider the child as the problem. That's just my opinion. But yeah, no, I think that's, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Well, Sue, it's been a great conversation. I know you and I could go on for hours and yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> and perhaps yeah. we can do a, a part two uh, as okay. we get closer, closer to the release of the film. Yes. So I just want to thank you for your time and your vulnerability and courage to share your you know, personal family story. And um, I'm just so, so glad and grateful that we uh, finally got to Good. get together thank and, you. And, and do thank this. Thank you for having me. And um, I wish you all the luck in the world with your production. Well, so. Thank you. Thank you. And, and thank you for all your contributions so far. And uh, we shall talk more about ADHD is over. Great. Okay. Thank you. Thank you.